Well, let's do this. Again, welcome. Good morning. Uh, Let's get Bibles handed out. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and the guys in the back will bring one to you. Raise your hand nice and high. Those of you that do have Bibles or are receiving them, the place we'll be this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll take uh, this week and next week to finish 1 Timothy. Following that, I will be in Israel uh, with a group from our church, and we'll have a couple of topical messages, and then we'll begin uh, 2 Timothy uh, when, I'm, when I'm back from Israel. So 1 Timothy 6 is where we'll be the next two weeks. Let's pray, and we'll get into 1 Timothy chapter 6. Heavenly Father, we uh, are just here once again, Lord, not, I hope, out of necessarily habit, but hunger. Father, we come week after week, and I pray for every single heart here, Lord. We know that your word is like seed, and there are a variety of different types of hearts in this room. There are hard hearts that have come just looking for holes in your word, looking for reasons to disbelieve, and, when, and the preaching will, will not touch their heart because it's hard, and there are those who are caught up in the cares and affairs of this world. And what's said here will be choked out and they'll leave as if nothing ever happened, just get squashed out. And there are those that are going through difficult trials and won't endure. But Father, there are those that have good fertile soil and are ready to hear and that word will sink into their heart and take root and begin to bear fruit in their lives. And I pray that, that you would just take the hard hearts and the shallow hearts And the hearts that are divided with things of this world. And you would just conform them, Lord. You would just change them to be fertile. So that what is said today doesn't just bounce off or stay on the surface. Lord, I pray that your word goes deep. And I pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter among many others in the New Testament. He wrote it to a young man named Timothy, right? A young guy possibly at this time in his 30s. Timothy is trying to help a church sort of get uh, back on its feet, get things back under control. There were some unhealthy things happening in the church where Timothy was sent as sort of an interim pastor, a a temporary pastor. And Paul is giving him advice because Timothy was kind of a, uh, he was a young guy and maybe timid. And so Paul is trying to help him in his work to minister to this church. And chapter 3 really gives us the, the gist of what this letter is about. Verse 15 of chapter 3 of First Timothy says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you can help others to know how to behave in the church. Because we all get saved out of the same thing. We've all been in the world. We all grew up in the world. And we all kind of, uh, well, some of you had the blessing of growing up in Christian homes. And so from the time you were young, you, you were taught the word of God and you know those things. But many of us, we come right out of, right fresh out of the world, you know, with understanding how the world works and what the world says about things and the world's philosophy, and it's easy to bring that and then begin to use that in the church. And God is a different, the kingdom of God is a different kingdom. 
isn't it? And operates by a whole different set of principles. As a matter of fact, opposite. If the world approves of it, then you probably shouldn't do it. Because you don't even have to know the word of God. If the world accepts it and, and, and embraces it, then it's probably opposite of what God says. Because that's just the God's kingdom is, is a contradictory kingdom to the world's kingdom. And we know which one is correct. So this is why Paul is writing. He's been dealing with some housekeeping issues there. Uh, how to deal with uh, widows, the church supporting certain groups of people in the church. Uh, the church supporting its leadership, the ones that are leading well, uh, being careful about laying hands on and, and casting, uh, giving authority to leadership in the church. And then finally, he also talked about those of us that, that are employees and employers, especially the employees, that one of the marks of a Christian is that they're hard workers. And if you're, if you're a Christian and you say, well, you know, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I'm not sure where where to serve, I'm not sure what to do. Just work hard. If you're, if you're a teacher, if you're an accountant, if you're you know, whatever you are, you be one of the hardest workers. Don't be one that clocks out early. Don't be one that is, is always distracted. Don't be one that just does the minimum. Jesus taught us to do what? Go the extra mile. If, if your boss asks you to go one mile, go two. Now that's hard, right? Because sometimes we don't like our bosses. So Anyway, whether it's a, a Christian boss or a non-Christian bo- boss, God is glorified by the way that you uh, conduct yourself at work and by, by working hard. Now, verse 3 is where we pick up. And Paul says, if anyone, and this is to indicate that they were, teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine or to the instruction which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, revilings, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So there are some times when you see a person's behavior in the church, and you see the way a person conducts themselves, and you know that you know that you know that that's not right. And so Paul says in terms of Timothy, in terms of their influence on you, rather than being attracted to that and influenced by that, so this is the kind of thing, Timothy, you have to withdraw yourself because it's like cancer. It'll affect you. It'll influence you. Well, who are these people that Timothy's supposed to withdraw himself from? They're, they're these uh, people that are teaching certain things in, in the body of Christ. It's different. What they're teaching, it just, it's different. It just doesn't line up right. It just smells funny. You ever heard someone tell you, some, we've had it happen in our church. Someone rolls in here. Look, when you're a new fellowship anywhere and you're young and you're just getting started, it's like the wolves come out of the woodwork, you know, to try to to prey on the, the new pastor or the new church. And they come in and try to, they pull, they pull you aside by yourself and tell you, you know, now your pastor, you know, he's okay, but there's some, some deeper things that, that you need to know about. And they'll begin to just tell you about, you know, the exact date that the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea and we figured this out because of this and that and, and all this minutia. 
And it's like, what are you talking about? And then this word means this. And if, if you really look into the ancient languages, and this word is this, and this means that, and, and you just go, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. Has, has that ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me a number of times. A number of times. And part of the, the character, part of the, the MO of, of these folks is they, they like to argue over words. And they have this, now, now knowing a word's definition is not bad. But the problem is you take that and then you twist it and, you, and they want to just fight about it. You ever have somebody, they just want to fight about what that word means or what the, and they have this, and literally obsessed is a morbid fondness. There's this morbid fondness for these details that uh, just are, are crazy and they get into arguments about this and he says, Timothy, stay away from that. Because the problem is those things that they're talking about, they don't line up with the words of Jesus. And they don't line up with instruction that leads a person and that harmonizes with a godly life. So the interesting thing about this, uh, about these, these folks, these people that, that Paul is talking about, says they won't consent to wholesome words. Wholesome words. We hear a lot of words, don't we? We read a lot of words on the internet. We hear a lot of words during the day. Uh, words matter don't they? Words really matter. And the interesting thing about what Paul says here is he calls these words, the words of Jesus and the doctrine according to godliness is uh, wholesome. Now that is an interesting word because it's the word where we get our word hygiene, healthy. Now I'm, you know, I go to the dentist uh, like you guys do and and I, and I like, I don't like to get cavities because I don't like that big needle that they put in the back of my jaw. I hate that thing, you know, and I try to avoid it. So to avoid that, to avoid having to get this painful experience of getting a cavity filled, I try to practice good dental hygiene. And that means, you know, I have to floss and to brush and you use the mouthwash stuff. And, and I try to take good care because dental hygiene leads to healthy teeth. Paul says the word of God is mental hygiene. It's good for your mind. It keeps weird cavities from getting filled in in your mind. Isn't that true? And instead of mouthwash, you need brainwash. So, well, you go to that school and they brainwash you from the Bible. That's right, my brain needed washing. You know all the things I've seen and the movies I've watched and the images that were in my mind from the years of being a bouncer in bars and all? I, I needed those to get washed from my mind. All of those images. And so, yes, the Word of God has washed my brain. Amen to that. So how do you judge good teaching? Well, it lines up with the words of Jesus. And it leads... If You have to ask yourself, well, if I listen to that, if I do what's being told, then where does that lead me? Does that lead me closer to God? Does that lead me to be more like God? Does it accord with godliness? If it does, then that's good. If it doesn't, then you reject it. You say, well, you know, appreciate you, you telling me that, but I don't think so. I'm moving on. One of their characteristics, all of these things are true. They've, uh, they argue, they have corrupt minds, their, their minds are clouded. No matter how many times you try to tell them your perspective, they just won't hear it because the Bible says their minds are clouded. They love to argue, and they have given up, they've given away the truth, and then they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. 
they're into what they're into because of what they can get out of it. And I hope that's not us. You know, sometimes maybe you were, you were sold on a prosperity gospel. Well, you know, look, just get saved and, and God will open up the windows of heaven and just drop out all kinds of money into your life. And you'll be blessed materially and all of those things. And, and, and that's why you get saved. And so some people go, well, yeah, I want that. And part of the thing that false teachers do is they know you. They know human nature. And they know that there's something, uh, ins- there's something greedy inside the human heart. Isn't there? There's something greedy in there. So they tailor the gospel to appeal to your need for greed and suck you in. See, they say, oh, if you just, would, if you just get, get, get saved, if you just do what I do, so you can be rich like me, you can wear the nice suits that I wear, and you can drive the nice cars that I wear, because this is, this is why they present themselves as godly. And this is why they do what they do, so that they can gain materially, financially. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, I've heard about that, but I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Or Let me just read this to you. I printed, this is this blew my mind. I had to read it because it just—it made me angry, actually, if I must be truthful. It's a book by a fellow named Wallace D. Waddle. He observed in his book, The Science of Getting Rich, you must get rid of the last vestige of the old idea that there is a deity whose will it is that you should be poor or whose purposes may be served in keeping you in poverty. It is the desire of God that you should get rich. He wants you to get rich because he can express it. Listen, he wants you to get rich because he can express himself better through you if you have plenty of things to use in giving him expression. Sounds so godly, doesn't it? He can live more in you if you have unlimited command of the means of life. In his very enlightening book, the author says here, the author of the article, he explains that to live fully a man must love and love is denied expression by poverty. The reason for this is that love finds its most natural expression in giving, and in order to give those, to those we love, we must have all the necessities and luxuries of life at our disposal. Besides, how can you hope to help the poor and needy if you yourself are in their shoes? Get rich. That's the best way you can help the poor. He says there's nothing wrong in wanting to get rich. The desire for riches is really the, the desire for a richer, fuller, and more abundant life. And that desire is praiseworthy. The man who does not desire to live more abundantly is abnormal. And so the man who does not desire to have money enough to buy all he wants is abnormal. Consider the words of Paul to the Corinthians, he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Wow. Some things are just twisted uh, and some things are, are distorted. But I imagine that this was something of the nature of the teaching that was happening in Ephesus. Ephesus was the banking capital of the, of the world at that time. And so I'm sure that this probably was similar to what was being taught. So what does Paul have to say about this? I mean, we're, we're familiar with this idea, right? The health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Uh, you know, you get saved and this is God's desire for your life that you're rich and, and fancy and, you know, you get to do all those things. Well... What does Paul say? Verse 6. He says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now see, he doesn't say godliness with poverty. 
right? That, which is what Wallace Gromit or whatever his name was, Wallace, whatever his name was. That's what he said, that, that God is glorified in your poverty. But God is not... The issue isn't whether you're rich or poor. It's not more spiritual to be rich. It's not more spiritual to be poor. The issue is contentment. Isn't that what he says? It's godliness, not with poverty, but with contentment, is mega gain. See, he just added that the, the, what these teachers are talking about is godliness is great gain. And he says, no, godliness with contentment. They were godly. They were pre- pretending and, and putting forth this godliness but they were greedy. They were discontent. And so Paul says the real way, the real thing we're looking at is godliness with contentment. Now, what is contentment? The word uh, is defined as uh, self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. That's literally the Greek word. It's self-sufficient. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, we don't need God. What that means is it's a self-sufficiency that is an inward self-sufficiency as opposed to needing or desiring anything <clears throat> that the world has to offer. So it's to be not needy. It's to be secure. It's the contentment happens in here. J.D. Rockefeller, mega millionaire, asked, how much money do people need to be happy? Do you know what his answer was? Just a little more. Just a little more. And that's Americans especially, and and really it's around the world, we tend to live just slightly higher than our means. We tend to live slightly above, no matter how much you make, you tend to spend just a little more. If you make $2 million a year, you you tend to spend two and a half. If you make $30,000 a year, you you tend to spend $40,000. We always tend to spend just a little more. And it's because our world is sort of designed to create in you a desire for wealth and a desire for um, obtaining things. After the Depression, the country was in, in a terrible state, uh, economically, financially, and then the war, world, the war happened and the efforts, uh, productivity increased to help the war effort and the economy boomed a little bit. And then after the war, everyone in, in government and finance and, and economy were worried about how Are we going to maintain our economy uh, now that the war is over? Well, this is what they came up with. Now, this is going to sound very familiar. A retailing analyst named Victor Lebeau in in a retail journal wrote this. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. That we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. That we seek our spiritual satisfaction our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. The economy takes advantage of our desire for more. Now, the way to step out of that, the way to not participate in that, is through contentment. And I like that. Contentment is freedom. That doesn't mean you never buy anything. doesn't mean you can't have things. Again, not a sin to be rich, not a sin to be poor. Uh, doesn't, it's not a, not a sin to get a new car. The problem is 
needing those things. The problem is when your identity is wrapped up in those things. The problem is uh, when who you are becomes wrapped up in what you wear and what you buy and the kind of car you drive. And so therefore, you're never happy. You're never content because there's always got to be... We don't have cable TV. We, we cut that off years ago because I found myself, uh, I, I'd sit and I'd watch something for five minutes and then I was certain there was something better on another channel. Anybody else like that? I was certain that I'm watching Animal Planet or whatever and there's got to be something else on. And I like the show, but maybe I'm missing something. And so I go to the next channel and, and I watch that for five minutes and well, there's a hundred other channels. Maybe there's something good on one of those channels too. And so I just never could settle in and be happy where I was. Watching, t- so I cut it off. I said, Man, I don't like that. But that's how we are financially, isn't it? That's how we are with our material goods. I mean, we have ha- we have bigger houses with bigger garages, so we can store more stuff because we got to buy more stuff. And then Christmas time comes, and we get more stuff, and we don't know where to put the stuff, so we have to have storage units for more stuff. And then nowadays, all the stuff we get is made to break fast. So we have to buy new stuff, and then our neighbor gets some new stuff, and his stuff is better than our stuff, so we need stuff like his stuff. It's true, isn't it? I've just been trying to simplify. I just want to live simple. And maybe when you get older, I don't know, maybe that's just something that happens. And and so really, I want to speak to the young folks in here too. You know, this is the kind of thing that you are challenged with, even, you know, in high school, middle school, even in elementary school, you know, when the, the fight for, well, this, this family gets a new game system, and then the kids go over and they play the game system over, and then they come over and say, well, they have this new game system, and I want that new game system, because it's better than my old game system. I had an Atari when it first came out. Anybody else have one of those things? That first, we were so happy with that thing, because it was, like, incredible. And we used to be happy with dial-up. That's all we had. We'd sit there 10 minutes and we were thankful for it. 15 minutes and it's clicking and clacking away and now we just get frustrated. I just want to live simple. I want to get out of debt. I want to live simple. See, now the credit card companies, they enable us to be greedy. And we just charge it. And then we have it and then we'll worry about it later. And it's all feeding the system. But he says, God, you want to be rich be content. That's what the Word of God says. You want to be rich, be happy where you are. So when it comes to that purchase, you can take your time and you can think about it. When's the last time you said to yourself when there's something you wanted, you know, I really don't need that. Or, you know, I think I'm going to wait on that. Or, when's the last time you said, I'd love that, but I can't afford it. I think it's a really good thing to not be able to afford some things in your life. I think it's really mentally healthy and helpful to look at something and say, you know, looks great, but I just can't afford it. Matter of fact, some people might say, well, maybe rich people are more content. They got more stuff and maybe they're more content than, you know, I'm poor. And if I had what they had, I'd be content. No, you wouldn't. Socrates said this, he was not content with what he has, would not be content with what he would have. Because where does contentment exist? It's inner. The person that's content with little would also be content with much. The person that's content with much would also be content with little because it's on the inside. And actually, around the world, the wealthiest nations have the highest degree of mental illness. The wealthiest nations 
have more difficulty with their, with their thinking processes, are, are mentally struggling. And, and we see, well, let, let's keep going on a little bit here. We're, we're spinning our wheels. Uh, verse 7, and here's what Paul says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Whatever you get here stays here. Period. And it's really, it's really Paul says, because it's, it's because we brought nothing. It, for we brought nothing into this world because we can carry nothing out. If God wanted us to leave with a backpack, we'd come in with a backpack. Or a, or a purse or a, a wallet or whatever. We'd, we didn't come in. When we came in, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'm going out. Now, King Tut tried to be buried with a bunch of stuff that he thought he'd need in the afterlife. A, a chair and uh, you know, all these gold and money and enough seeds to plant a huge garden. And when the architects, or the architects, the archaeologists dug up his grave, guess what was right there? All that stuff that he thought he was going to need in the afterlife didn't take any of it with him. Matter of fact, there was a guy, before he died in 1899, Reuben John Smith of Buffalo, New York, made sure that he would spend eternity in comfort. We all know how to do that, right? He was buried in a leather recliner chair with a checkerboard sitting on his lap. Not sure who he was going to play. Smith also requested that he be dressed in a hat and a warm coat with the key to his tomb inside his coat pocket. Interesting. You want to make sure you're going to spend eternity in comfort and give your life to Jesus Christ. Then you don't, don't be stupid and get buried with your recliner. If someone else got buried in their Ferrari, I mean... What a waste. Because <laughs> you brought, you didn't, you, you were born naked because you're going out naked. And everything that's here, and this is why Paul is saying this is, don't get fooled. Don't get schnookered by the world into thinking that somehow what's here is what's important. This is temporary. We use the stuff of the world, but we don't abuse it. We don't misuse it. We, we use it. We, we have to wear clothes. And that's what Paul says next, as a matter of fact. He says, Having food and clothing or covering with these, we shall be content. Uh, food, clothes. doesn't say food, clothes, and, a, and an iPad, food, clothes, and this. Food, clothes, this is what you need to get through the world. Anything, and, and look, when we say, are the rich more, we are the rich. You know that, right? We are the, and if we're the rich, and we're not content, then obviously it's not about how much you have that makes a person content. Food, did you guys eat breakfast this morning? Anybody eat breakfast or, or could have eaten breakfast if you wanted to? Maybe you skipped because you were running late or you know, whatever. But you could have eaten breakfast. Some of you have pantries at home loaded with food. You're not eating mud cookies like they are in Haiti. You're rich. But why aren't you happy? Why is it that your kids aren't happy? Because we pass this on to our kids, right? We, pass, we teach them. How many of you have said, I just want my kids to have more than I had? It's the worst thing you can want for your kids. You want your kids to be content with whatever they have. Job said it. Naked I came in. Naked I'm going out. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Maybe if your kids had more, it would ruin them. Maybe if your kids had more, they'd walk away from the Lord. There's a proverb that talks about that. Lord, don't give me riches or poverty. 
Because if I'm rich, I might forsake you. If I'm poor, I might be tempted to steal. Just give me what I need. is that a great prayer? Lord, just give me what I need. Give me this day my daily bread. And just help me to be content with that. Food and clothing, that's what he says you'll be content. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich, and this is the issue. Again, the issue is not riches. The issue is not being rich. There's a lot of wealthy men in the Bible. David was a man after God's own heart and is extremely wealthy. But the problem is, is making that mental choice in your life that here is my goal, and this is the goal sometimes we unfortunately pass on to our kids, get a job where you can earn a lot of money. And it plants in them, in their little hearts, a desire to be rich, that somehow what I need in life is a lot of money. So those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's a trap. Kids, it's a trap. Adults, it's a trap. It's, it's not wrong necessarily to take a new job where you're going to make a little more money. But be careful of the trap. If you're taking it because you're going to make more money, it may require more hours. You may have to skip this. You may not get to see the kids. You may have to do that. And pretty soon you realize, what have I done? Things were okay where I was. And, but if there's, this, if there's this desire to be rich, then you are very susceptible to foolish desires and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, which drag people to the bottom. Why is it that lottery winners, so many of them, commit suicide? I, this came right out of our Fluvanna review. Fluvanna pastor found guilty of embezzlement. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's okay. <laughs> Steve said no. Uh, but the point is, and I won't go into the details of the article, $10,000 is what was embezzled. Because if, if, you're, if there's a desire to be rich, then then there are these temptations and there are these opportunities and you go, well, maybe I, well, no one will notice or I'll just do that thing. Or... Because money is a great tool but a terrible master. Money is a great tool but a terrible master. It leads men, and if you're not careful, it can really lead, if you're not already content, it can lead a person to destruction. And look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their greediness, or from, their, from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This is a great picture. A great picture. Now, again, it's, many of you know this already. It's been said before it's not money that is the root of all kinds of evil, money can be the root of a lot of good. Money can be used. Again, it's a great tool. If you have money, praise the Lord. Use it. Use it to bless people. Use it to advance the kingdom. But if you love money, and it's really, the Greek word is, for, the, for money love is a root. It's at the source of all kinds of evil stuff. And all you have to do is turn on the news. You know, why, why are there so many? Everybody's trying to expand and, and more. I need more. We need more places. We need to sell more. We need to do more. Because why? So we can make more. And the whole thing is just a mess. And it's, it's the whole world is like that, isn't it? And the, the system of the world has one purpose, and that's to get rich. And they do it by separating you from your money by showing you commercials that show you the things that, you think you, that, that, that they think you should need. 
and, and we buy it. Fashions come and fashions go. And I got to be fashionable, so I got a closet full of stuff I never wear. Because, no, I'm not me. <laughs> I got like three pairs of jeans and <laughs> that's all I wear. <laughs> okay, you just stopped coming to this church. Uh, but it's true, isn't it? The love of money. I met a guy at the gym. I've told this story a couple times. I'm, I'm at the gym. This is a while ago, a couple of years ago. And I meet this young guy and I'm getting to know him and introduce myself to him. And I invited the church. And he says, I don't have time for church. Really? Why not? Well, you know, I've got my five-year plan, and I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30. Oh, really? Yeah, so, you know, I I work on the weekends, and I work here, and I just don't have time for that stuff right now. And it's sad. Or, Or maybe it's you spend all your whole week working so hard to support your lifestyle because you bought a bigger house than you needed or you bought a more expensive car than you needed and now you've got to work twice as hard or two jobs and so now the whole week goes by and Sunday comes and it's your only day to sleep in. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir because here you are. But we, we hear that. Don't, that is the lamest thing I've ever heard. Saturday's your day to sleep in. Not Sunday. Sunday's your day to gather together with the body of Christ, be built up by his word, worship the Lord as the family of God, and to enjoy one another. And if you don't do it Sunday, you got to work Sunday, find another day to do it. Do it Wednesday night. Do it Tuesday night. Do where, somewhere, you've got to be in fellowship. Otherwise, what does he say? You can, you can easily stray from the faith because you're stretching out to grab. You ever, you ever been standing on a chair trying to grab something out of the, the cabinet and it's like you're teetering there on the edge and you're trying to reach too far? That's the word greediness is to stretch out to grab and what happens pretty soon you fall over and and the word pierced through is, is, speaks of a skewer where you, you cook a, a chicken. You put that skewer all the way through and then, and then you cook it. And see, people that are making money think, man, I'm really cooking. But really, you're being cooked. That's the issue. You're really being cooked because you're going to get pierced through with many sorrows. It's a very, when money is your goal, it's a, it can be a very disappointing thing because because the economy's unstable, riches make themselves wings and they fly away. You never know who you can trust. Once you got stuff, then all of a sudden, you, you know, well, who can I trust? Uh, you miss out enjoying the things of life because you're so busy trying to make money. I love this story. Let me give you one more story and then we'll move on. There was a, a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. And then you could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money, and you could have a, a fleet of boats, and then you could be rich like me. And the fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. And the fisher said, well, what do you think I'm doing right now? And I love that story because it just is a great reminder to me. And, and we'll read later on here that you know, God's given us all things to enjoy. And a person who is constantly chasing after uh, 
riches. They're just not content. They're just never happy. There's always got to be something more. If I lived there, I'd be happy. If I had that, I'd be happy. It's a huge trap. It, 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 you never get there. And you peer, it's just a sad way to live, isn't it? Just a sad way to live. It's a sad way uh, to operate. So the opposite, what Paul says now in verse 11, but you, O man of God, you, people of Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, you, Pastor Steve, you, elders of our church, all of us, men, women of God, he says, flee. And it means continue to flee these things. Man, when it comes to riches, when it comes to the love of those things, you just run away from that. And, and the best thing you can do is if you come into a lot, give it away. Give it away. I'm not saying you don't put anything into savings. And, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest stuff. But be really, really careful. Guard your heart. Because it can begin to change your life. It begin to change the way you think. Look, if you, if you, you, you can't love money and people. Because if you love money, it changes the way you treat people. You begin to use people. But if you love people, it changes the way you use money. And the safest thing I can do is just live as simply as I can and give away as much as I can because it's in giving that you flee love of money. Because when you... I, I, we, I, I give a, a check to the church just like you guys do. I'm just one of you once a month. And, and I don't do it online. I, don't, I, I write it out because every time I write that check for the kingdom of God... I'm reminded of my need to trust God in financial areas. I'm reminded that, you know, it's easy to uh, amass a big bank account and think, I'm safe. And that's one of those sorrows. I can live without God now. The, the rich can sort of live without God. What, what need does he have of God? All his, got all his bases covered until the stock market crashes. So I, I write that check, and it's just a, a, a monthly reminder for me because sometimes, you know, things are tight this month and you go, oh, I, don't know. I don't know if I should do that. And, and then God says to me, Steve, just trust me. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so I say, yes, Lord, you're right. And he's never let me down. He's never once let me down. Flee these things. And if you want to pursue something, don't pursue riches. Don't pursue that lifestyle, pursue righteousness. I mean, if you've got the kind of energy to run after wealth and, and amassing those things, then you've also got the energy to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, to pursue faith, to pursue love and patience and gentleness. These are the things that you can take out of this world. These are the things that go with you into eternity. Pursue those things. And, and is that easy? No, it's not easy. No, it's, it's a challenge because of the world we live in. The world is the opposite message. So we have to do what Paul says in verse 12. We have to fight. you got to fight that fight. you got to wrestle that out in your family. you got to wrestle that out as a couple. Fight the good fight of faith, not wealth. Again, please understand, I'm not saying it's wrong to be wealthy, wrong to take a new job, wrong to have a savings account. But the fight is in my heart not to love the things of this world, 
Because all that is in this world, the Bible says, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you can't love the Father if you love the world, right? So fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Uh, get a grip, he says. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And that's where we're going to stop for today. Some of you think, hey, you know, I'm losing my grip. I'm losing my grip financially. I'm losing my grip mentally, emotionally. And Paul says, you can get a grip. So here's what I want you guys to think about. Paul says, you want to get a grip on something? You want to get a grip on your life? Get a grip on eternal life. You want to grasp for something? You want to try to hold on to it? Let it be eternal life. That's what you've been called to. And that's what Timothy had professed when he was baptized. That he was not going to live for this world, but for the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So as we close, and I'm going to invite Phil forward to lead us in a, in a closing song. This is so necessary in our day and age, isn't it? Because we were so used to living high on the hog, and then the economy crashed. And it's, it's been a struggle for all of us to figure out now, how do we live? Because we can't afford the things we used to live on. We can't afford the things we used to have. The times are changing, aren't they, folks? The world economy is not what it used to be. And no one knows what it's going to be, other than it's, it's going to be more difficult. So I suggest that you just go home, begin to reassess. What do we need? What can we do without? Why aren't I content if I'm not? Why do we keep buying more stuff? And I want to encourage you, anybody here that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't have that inner contentment, I want to encourage you to get a grip Get a grip on eternal life and do it now. Because it's that godliness with contentment that will make you the richest person on earth. True or not true? Amen. Amen. So, um, Phil, lead us in a final song. We'll close for, with prayer. If anybody wants to know more about what it means to invite Jesus into your heart, what it means to, to be saved, to be born again, to get off the treadmill uh, of this world, then uh, just come on up afterwards. We can talk about those things.